So our first home that we owned was in central Massachusetts, about an hour west of the city. Uh, it was positioned uh, right in the middle of about two acres of land. And then our neighbor beside us also had just about two acres of land. His name was Mike. Mike and I became uh, friends. And Mike was an avid Christmas decoration fanatic. I mean, he was just all about it. So much so that I remember one particular conversation I had with Mike. And Mike goes, Josh, I'm jealous that you get to park your car in your garage. I said, well, you got a garage? What are you talking about? Why are you jealous? He goes, well, it's full of Christmas decorations all year long. So in December, I get to park my car in the garage, but the rest of the year, I don't. I mean, he was, he was insane. He filled up all two acres of land with these Christmas inflatables. You know what I'm talking about? He went out and bought the Christmas inflatables, and they were all, it was unreal. I mean, it was a, a winter wonderland, and people would drive through our neighborhood just to see uh, Mike's yard. And, and they looked really cool, but in the early days of the inflatables, when they first came out, they also didn't just blow up, but they also came with like a music box that was set inside. So when you plugged it in, it was playing uh, Christmas songs of some sort. And so the problem was, Becky and I, we love to sleep with our windows open. And so even in the dead of winter, we like to leave them a little bit cracked so the cool air can come in, feels really nice, and we bundle up together under our uh, big down comforter. And so uh, imagine, though, you know, 20-plus inflatables all playing a Christmas song, a different Christmas song at the same time. It didn't feel like Christmas. It felt like Halloween. It was really creepy. It was like a kind of a horror scene. It was, it was, it was rather scary. Now, fast forward to the summer. Uh, summer comes along. Uh, one particular summer night, Towards the beginning of summer, the bugs were starting to get pretty thick and, and, and heavy. And, and we're laying in bed. Uh, just had laid down to sleep, had our windows wide open, enjoying the cross breeze. And as we're laying there, we hear... What in the world? I look out my window. And do you guys know about these bug zappers? They're, they had a, a blue light. Uh, and it's kind of this cage around it. It's got a hook. Mike had run an extension cord and went to the edge of the yard, almost to our property line. I don't know if he was trying to get me or something. And he had hung a bug zapper from a tree and was zapping bugs. And so we had to shut our window and we couldn't enjoy uh, the air. Uh, here's, here's the thing. Uh, bugs, are, bugs are drawn uh, to the, the light. And this Christmas season, here's what we're talking about. And this is kind of where my illustration actually falls apart now that it's coming out of my mouth. Is this Christmas season, we're talking about light. And uh, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that we are drawn to him. Difference is, Jesus won't zap us, right? Jesus is, when you're drawn to Jesus, uh, we're drawn to the light. We're drawn to Jesus. And Jesus is an amazing, amazing gift. And I, I hope I can illustrate that uh, this morning as we uh, talk a little bit more about this theme of light. This has kind of been the theme we've been focusing on uh, this, this Christmas uh, season. And uh, today we'll be in Matthew chapter 2. We'll get some more light, but you, you really can't miss it that throughout the, uh, the Christmas story that there, there's light everywhere. I mean everywhere. Angel visitations to uh, Zechariah and Mary and Joseph. Uh, the shepherds have uh, not just one angel but a multitude of heavenly hosts uh, filling the sky, lighting up the sky. And then of course as we'll see today in Matthew chapter 2, the wise men follow the light, the, the star uh, into Jerusalem and then into to Bethlehem. But we first see the light in Isaiah chapter 9. The prophet Isaiah prophesies that, that into the darkness has come a great light, that Jesus himself is the great light. He is the ultimate 
light. And so here we are, 2,018 years later, and all the lights that we see at Christmas time, uh, whether it's a Christmas tree glowing in your house or, or Christmas lights uh, on, on your neighbor's uh, house or in the yard, or if you've gone to see the, the tree downtown at Faneuil Hall all lit up and the, the kind of the light show there, they all should, should be there to, to really point us to the great light, to Jesus himself. Now, through the, 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 the Christmas season, we've already talked a little bit about just some of the various functions of light. We talked about how light exposes, right? That the light shines on things and it, and it brings out even things that we don't want to see and the things that we do want to see. That light doesn't discriminate. It, 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 it exposes the things that we're, we're proud of and the things that we're maybe not so proud of, maybe our, our sin struggles. Light is also, we talked about last week, a, a great tool for, for search and rescue, that we're not just drawn to the light, but we're to bring the light out. To, to seek and to save people who, who, who need a Savior. And so our role as Christians is, is to carry His light as, as the light of the world, to carry His light to the world. And then this week, what I really want to think on is, is the, the gathering power of light, whether it's like bugs to a bug zapper or, uh, or, or like a child and you turn a screen on and the children, all of a sudden they are glued into the, the light and it's glowing on their faith, face, or, or whether it's uh, uh, going camping and you're gathered around a campfire, you are, are drawn to the light. There's, there's a gathering power to the light. There's something distinct about light that, that really does bring people together. And I would say that we desperately need that this year. I mean, as we wrap up 2018, I've been kind of thinking, and I feel like every year there's kind of a, a theme in our culture. And if I were to say what the theme was uh, in our culture for 2018, I would say the theme is tribalism. Just we're, we're broken apart. We're, we're increasingly fractured as, as a nation. And, and our nation is just so divided, not gathered. And even on a, on a global scale, right now we've got deadly riots going on in France. We've got the ever-looming threat of, of terrorism. We've, we've got refugees, not crisis, but crises all over the place. And, and this Christmas story that's so familiar to us, it speaks to these things, to strife, to violence, to confusion, to discord, uh, to hatred. And, and I would imagine that, that many of us in this room, uh, you know, the Christmas story is nice, but if you were to really uh, be kind of pressed on this, you might say, you know what, honestly, feels like it just doesn't have really any bearing on my life, any bearing on current reality. But I am convinced it has massive bearing on current reality, on, on current events. And so let's take a look. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, and we'll pick up in verse 1, a very familiar story, the story of the wise men, the, the three kings, the, the magi. So let's read this uh, together. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and here's what the prophet says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Familiar story to many of you? Let's break this down a little bit if we can. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. You know the story. There's no room for them in the end, they've come uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, uh, Mary and Joseph, and she's just about ready to go here, but she has to obey the law, and she goes for the census, and she goes into labor, and there's no room, and so they have the baby in the stable with the animals. I mean, just a crazy ordeal. The shepherds come, that whole ordeal, and then apparently they decided to remain in Bethlehem. Obviously, they have family there because that's where they had to go. That was where their roots were. And, and, and rather than taking the baby and making a quick return back to Nazareth, maybe she wanted to, to heal up and, and stay in this, this area for a while. Fast forward somewhere up to two years later, wise men, kings from the far east show up to the capital city of Jerusalem. This is a big ordeal. This is likely some kind of procession just outside of Bethlehem and they're asking where the king of the Jews was to be born because they had followed this star we don't quite know what that means if it was a clustering of stars or a planet or even just an angel that led them and then rested over Jerusalem but they followed this star because they wanted to worship uh, this king of the Jews they show up to Jerusalem big scene it would have caused a lot of commotion a lot of attention and so of course Herod the king is very curious about what's going on. He's he's the occupying Roman king over the Jews. Herod was a megalomaniac. He loved any opportunity that he had to flex his power. He was very insecure and he would build when he felt threatened. He would would do all kinds of crazy things to flex his power. And so he hears about this, what, king of the Jews, and he feels threatened. He calls the Jewish leaders together and he asks, Where is the king of the Jews, the Messiah, to be born? Because he himself wasn't a Jew. And so he says, tell me, teachers, where is he supposed to be born? And they go, that's that's easy. Micah chapter 5, 2. The king, the Messiah, will be born in, in Bethlehem. And so... Herod arranges a special meeting with these wise men who have come into town. He says, let's get together. Let's have a little, little gathering. And he talks to them. He says, hey, guys. He tries to act all smooth, act all nice, act like he cares. He says, would you guys do me a favor? When you find the baby king, come back and tell me exactly where he was because I too want to go and murder, I mean worship him. And so that's what he, he, he wants to go and he wants to, to murder this Messiah. He feels threatened by this Messiah. And the wise men, they leave King Herod. They get to Bethlehem as the star leads them and rests right over the place where the the child is. And, And they get there and they're rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. I mean, you hear this description, rejoice exceedingly with great joy. And they find the child 
Jesus and Mary. And what do they immediately do when they see the child? These dignitaries who have traveled far with a procession with unbelievably expensive gifts, they fall down before Jesus. There's an element of, wow, whose presence are we in? And then they present him costly gifts. But then, after this night that's so famous, and so many of us are are familiar with it, after this night, they get a dream from God. And as they get this dream, the, the dream tells them what exactly Herod is up to. And so they never return to Herod because they didn't want to let him know exactly where because he was planning to kill Jesus. Now, how does all of this relate to the current realities, the terror, the, the internal uh, chaos in our country, the, the external chaos across the globe, political divides, racial divides, I mean, all kinds of divides everywhere. everywhere. Well, this narrative of, of the coming of God into humanity, human flesh, gives us a foretaste of what God is up to in the future. In fact, the whole Christmas story is just a, a, a small taste of the things that God is going to do through this Messiah. And one of the things that God is going to do through the Messiah is to fulfill his promise to rescue people from all over the world. Psalm 67, Psalm 47, here, here's what they, they both say in, in one way, shape, or form. Let the peoples praise you. That's all people. O God, let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises for God is the king of all the earth. And so all over the Bible, we we see time and time again the reality that God's heart is for the nations. God's heart is for all the people of the entire world. And and our our theme for this week with Advent is is joy. And and, and we're thinking on joy and we're asking God to to, to bring us joy. And the reality is is that he has inaugurated the, the way, the means for joy in Jesus. And God wants all of us, and God wants Jerusalem and, and all of Israel, of course, but he wants the entire world to know joy. It is his desire that the nations would be glad and, and sing for joy. Now, here's what many of the people, as you read the Old Testament, uh, the people of Israel, here's, here's what many of them have done. They, they read the commands of God about how they're a, a chosen people, a special people, a called out people, and they turned that and became very ethnocentric. We're great. We're amazing. We are God's special people. Everybody else, they're a bunch of losers. We are God's people. We're the chosen, chosen nation. But what was it about them that, that made God choose them? Nothing. There was nothing within them that was innately good. It was God chose them because it was his desire to use someone, and I'll use these guys, and and through them, I will create a nation, and from that nation, I will send forth my son. It was God's plan all along to use the people of Israel as ambassadors to the entire world. But instead of doing that, they said, we're ambassadors, and they sat on their proverbial throne, so to speak, and thought more highly of themselves than they should. Israel was not better. They were just agents through which God was going to fulfill his plan. And with these wise men, we begin to see the plan of God take place. But what is ironic is that the plan of God takes place without the people of God. They just figured it out from afar. 
that people weren't doing what they were supposed to do. I find that encouraging that even when Christians aren't doing what they're going or they're supposed to do, they're called to do, that God still in his power and in his plan will save people. It's amazing. And so God does that with these wise men. He says, I'm going to bring all the people of the world together. And it's beginning to happen in the middle of, of political oppression. The Roman Empire is scattered all over the place. God is showing us here by bringing these people from a foreign land into Jerusalem, into Israel. He's showing us a, a picture of, of the unity and of the community that he is creating among the nation. Now, what do we know about these wise men? We don't, we don't know a whole lot about the wise men. We don't even know for sure that there were three wise men. We just speculate that there were three wise men because there were three gifts. But there could have been ten wise men and three gifts. Or they could have been, the, the gifts were so heavy that two carried them, each gift. And so there were six. I don't know. We don't know. We just know that there were, there were three gifts. We do know that they're from the, the Far East. And so they're either uh, Babylonians or, or Arabs. Many scholars will speculate that they're Babylonians. Because remember, long before uh, Israel had had been carried off into captivity uh, into to Babylon. Uh, and this is where God raises up Daniel and the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And so perhaps these wise men got a hold of some of the ancient writings from when Daniel was around and somehow they learned about the Messiah and they put these things together uh, coupled with the Spirit of God moving upon their hearts and showing them this star. And they were able to conclude that the Messiah is coming and we should follow this star. And they go on this epic journey not just a little trip down the road, but this unbelievable journey to see the Savior of the world, the long-awaited one, that not even their people were anticipating. It was the people of Israel were anticipating, and yet they were able to conclude these things and, and follow the star. Now, what brings them all the way to Jerusalem and then Bethlehem? Think about this. They come all this way. What, what ultimately was it that, that brought them? Was it, was it race? So they say, you know what, we're going to go in, in search of our, our, our roots into a foreign land. I mean, I know some of you guys have done this. You said, you know what, I'm, I'm Irish, so I'm going to take a little trip to, to Ireland, and I'm going to drink some Guinness and hang out with some gingers and, and, and trace my roots, right? I've talked to some, we have one lady who, who went to China because she said, I, I have relatives there I've yet to meet. I want to go to China. I want to, I want to meet them. I think that'll be great. We have some people, I was talking to one guy who said, I'm going to the Dominican Republic. My grandfather is aging there. I want to go and connect with my Dominican grandfather. Was it race that brought these, these men across the world over to Jerusalem? No, it wasn't, it wasn't race. So what brought these men to Jerusalem? Was it, was it position? Was it, there's this global king summit and we're all going to come together with kings from all over the world. And, and I do that sometimes. I get together and hang out with, with other pastors and we talk shop and geek out about Greek and theology and stuff that you don't care about. When our, our medical professionals get together and I was in a group, uh, one of our connection groups once with a bunch of medical people and they're talking, you know, all these abbreviations that complete, I'm just, I'm just lost. The N-I-C-U, P-E-T, C-A-T and they, they know exactly, I'm lost in it, right? Uh, they get together and they're, they're all connected uh, with their, their lingo. Was it position and, and, and unity of, of their role that brings them together to Bethlehem? No, it wasn't. 
Was it affinity? Was it, was it interest? Did they come together? They're all stargazers, and so it was StarCon. We come together for StarCon to talk about stars. And, and I, I just last week had a Christmas party uh, for the, the Parkway Boston uh, Run Club, and we got together a bunch of skinny people eating rabbit food, you know? And, uh, and we're talking about your VO2 max and about the latest sneakers out and all this stuff. My wife is over here completely bored out of her mind at this, this Christmas party. It wasn't, it wasn't running. It wasn't the Stargazers convention that brought these guys together. What was it that brought them together? Or should I say, who was it that brought them together? It was Jesus that brought them to this place. Even more so, it was faith in Jesus that brought them together. What's interesting is they didn't know much of, of anything about They didn't have it all together. They just knew that God was working in their hearts and God was wooing them. And and they were drawn towards this light that was ultimately Jesus. And and, and they just, they set out. And it didn't make a whole lot of sense. These are very important people. And yet they dropped everything in pursuit of a baby. And they go across the ancient world, not even knowing where exactly they are going but that they are going. And we could do an entire sermon series, and I think I should do that sometime, on on just the various people in the scripture who took trips places, but they they weren't told where to go. They just said go. God just said go. That would be interesting. And that was the story of these guys. We don't know, but we will go. And, And how do you explain this? It's called faith. God was stirring up in their hearts something unexplainable. And they went out on this this incredible, some would say ridiculous journey so that they could could see this king that they didn't know really very much about. Tonight is our our Christmas banquet. And I love how at our Christmas banquet we always have uh, one or two people share a little bit of their story about how God has worked in their lives. And I imagine over the years we'll kind of collect everybody's stories and that'll be, that'll be great. A couple years ago we had one of our guys uh, who God had really been moving in his heart, microbiologist uh, from a family of scientists. And he was raised to think that we believe what we believe because we were raised to think that. And that's the only reason we, we believe that. And, and, and so one day though, God was just working in his heart and he didn't have all the answers together. And he just said, Go, and he shows up to church, not even a Christian at this point, just is, is wooed, just drawn in by the, the Spirit of God. He shows up to church, and then in time, learns fully the message of, of Jesus. And these kings, God was working in their hearts. God was wooing them. It didn't fully make sense outside of the fact that God was just doing something special in their hearts. And, and, and here's what God was doing in their hearts and what is again a picture of what he wants to do in everybody's heart, is he wants to bring people together. He wants to bring all peoples together. Imagine with me for a minute, if in fact they were Babylonian stargazers, wise men, kings. You've got Mary and Joseph, Israelites, whose history is having been taken captive by the Babylonians. And you have Babylonian leaders, Babylonian dignitaries who show up to your already uh, unstable, unusual, uncomfortable scenario. And now it's even more uncomfortable and unusual and 
stable. We're very comfortable with the nativity scene. But if you start to think about who the people are who we see in the nativity scene around Jesus, it was a very odd scene. Babylonians with Jews. Kings with peasants. All in the same room. And these kings are bowing down before a peasant toddler. And we think he was up to to two years old because if you were to skip ahead and read more of the story, uh, in verse 16 it will say that then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. And so in his little summit with the wise men, when they got together, he was able to ascertain and figure out the time. So he's thinking somewhere between zero and two years old is this boy. And so we, we think about the wise men oftentimes being there with the shepherds at the same time, but that, that was not true. And so somewhere up to two years later, he's a toddler and they are bowing down before a toddler. Now, what was it that made them bow before a toddler? Did Jesus do a miracle? Did he take his binky and turn it into a dove? I mean, no, he, he was just a toddler. They, it was God working in their hearts and wooing them and drawing them in and and showing us a picture of what he wants to do throughout the whole world, what he wants to do in our our country and even in our neighborhood that I believe is, though we pride ourselves in being so, we're the most ethnically diverse neighborhood in the city and yet we're so divided. What God is showing is, is I'm gonna work in hearts and I'm gonna bring people together around this Jesus. This is the first fruits of what God is doing throughout human history, and that is to unite people, not around the same career. We're medical people. We're music people. Not around political affiliation. Not around affinity of any sort or hobby or running. Not not around ethnicity. Not around language. He's uniting people around, around Jesus. From Isaiah chapter 45 in the Old Testament to to Philippians 2 in the New Testament, we keep hearing God's intention that every knee, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I've always, as a a child and and still today, loved the nativity scene. I know a lot of people give it flack. Oh, you know, it's really a glamorized version. It really wasn't beautiful like that. And that's true. But I, I love little nativity scenes because I, I, I look at it and I think about it and I just consider the story and it just helps me imagine the story. And as a kid, I would, I would play with my grandmother's nativity scene and, and she says, I broke one, I decapitated Mary. And so she glued Mary's head back on and bought me a kind of a kid's version of the nativity scene so I wouldn't, uh, I, I could be kind of rough. And, and I love how right in the middle of the nativity scene is who? It's Jesus, right? It's, it's Jesus. It's God who's become a man to live perfectly the life we couldn't live, to die the death that he did not deserve, that we deserve, and he resurrects to life, defeating death. And in the nativity scene around Jesus, we've got Mary and Joseph, these peasants from a lame town. There's nothing desirable about Nazareth. In fact, it said, what good could come out of Nazareth? To read through the gospel. And this whole Jesus thing, Mary, sure, Mary, you're a virgin, sure. 
Joseph, you're a bonehead. Why would you stay with her? It would, that, that gossip would have set the town ablaze with, with talk and whispers and, and judgment. And yet they're in this nativity scene, this beautiful story around Jesus. You even have, have the angels, and Scripture will tell us in 1 Peter that the angels long to, to be a part of what we as God's people get to be a part of. They're, they're looking on and they're, they're mesmerized. And, and you have angels, heaven brought into the, the story, through the announcement to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds, to, to, to Zechariah. Angels created thousands of years prior to this for God's purposes. And they're in the story looking on. You have shepherds, these, these, these men who, who are humble and lowly and even despised in that culture, and they get this amazing scene, this great privilege to have thousands, multitude of heavenly hosts singing before them, a light show in, in front of them. Even though Mary and Joseph themselves would have naturally looked down upon a shepherd, we like to think they were all excited a shepherd, shepherd showed up. If I were them, it would have kind of been like, that's just shepherds? Shepherds? Shepherds show up. The shepherds couldn't go to temple. They couldn't practice uh, the, the religious uh, dates and, and practices of the people of that day because they couldn't leave the flock. And so they were looked down upon as, as irreligious, dirty. They, they weren't even allowed to give testimony in, in court. These are the shepherds, and, and yet they're brought in. The wise men, these dignitaries, these, these scholars, these wealthy, brilliant, powerful men show up, but from a nation that has deeply wounded the nation of the Messiah. And all of these different characters brought into God's story, and every single one of them are there, not because of some, something innately good in them, clearly, but they're all there because of Jesus. They've been drawn to the light. They've been wooed in to, to Jesus. None of these people would have ever crossed paths had it not been for Jesus. But this is what Jesus does. Jesus gathers people around the great light. Jesus is a unifier. He creates unity. He creates community. He doesn't just create unity and community. He creates diverse community. Very different people who likely would never cross paths, would never be together. They're with each other. And let me just say that the answer to the racial struggles, the war, the hatred, the political strife, the self-righteousness, the ethnocentrism, it's all Jesus. It's always only Jesus. Jesus is the answer. And I remember uh, growing up, and, and like normal children, my brother and sister and I, we would all fight all the time. That's just what you do, right? We, we fought all the time, and, and it certainly didn't magically go, go away during the holidays. You know, now it's holidays, so we'll have peace in our home. That, no, of course we fought. That's what, that's what you, you do. And, and so around the holidays, my mom would always say basically the same thing. It's, it's Mother's Day. Can't we just get along? Or... It's Valentine's Day. It's the day of love. Can't we just get along? It's my birthday, Joshua. Can't we just get along? And of course, it's Christmas. Can't we just get along? I think she was closest on Christmas. Not that it's Christmas, can't we get along? But the answer is because of Christmas, 
we can get along. Because of Christmas, we can be unified. And let me just say this, not with the faux unity. There's a lot of faux unity out there. Unity is a kind of a catchphrase word. Everybody wants to be unified. If we went out and surveyed 100 people, 100 people would say, we're all for unity. But it's about what or who do we unify around? We can unify around a run club, but the reality is we're running at different paces. We, we, can, we can unify around a political party or we can unify around uh, some, some religion, any other world religion that you say, well, you know, the reality is if you look at anything, you're all looking at that, so aren't you unified? No, because every other world religion is you have to earn God's favor. And so what that promotes is, yeah, we're looking to the same God, quote unquote, but we're all able to look down our nose at each other because look how I have performed. And the Christian faith is the great neutralizer, the great unifier, because it says from beginning to end that every single one of us is sinful and the wages of sin is death. There is no one righteous, no, not one, no one righteous, that we are all sinful and that we can be made right with God because of Jesus. For by grace, that's getting what you don't deserve. You can be saved through faith. That is trusting what somebody else has done, not in what you have done. This is what sets the Christian faith apart from every other world religion out there. From every other claim to here's how we unify. So if we unify around Jesus, we're not looking down our nose at anybody else. We're all humbly saying, I'm from Babylon. I'm from Nazareth. I haven't been to church in a really long time. I've been hanging out with sheep. I'm really sinful. I'm really messed up. I've been going to church for a long time and I look great on the outside. I can clean up well and I can talk the talk. My heart is an absolute mess and I'm awake at night with anxiety. And all of us can be unified around the baby. All brought in around God who has become flesh. So I pray that as you look at nativity scenes throughout this Christmas season, that you would be, be mindful of the different kinds of people that are brought in, unified around Jesus, that he is the answer, that all the nations would have joy in Jesus. And God's prayer is that every single one of you would find your joy in him and that you would be brought into his family, a very diverse family. A family that is free to love each other, not based on performance, but love each other the way God loves us. That is unconditional. We pray. Father, so thankful, so thankful for this reality that we can be unified because of Christmas. Not just on Christmas, but because of Christmas, we can be unified every single day. And even when we struggle, we're still family. And God, I, I just know that we're in, a, in the midst of a, of a world that is looking for answers. And thank you that you have given us the answer in Jesus. Thank you that we don't have to look to anybody other than Jesus. That there is one way. It's Jesus. It's always Jesus. And so God, may we center first personally our hearts on Jesus. And so God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room who has never given their life to Christ, that today they would give their life to Christ.
that they would recognize that they, like everybody else except for Jesus, are sinful. And the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is life in Jesus. So Father, I pray that people in this room who maybe have never given their life to Christ would turn from sin, ultimately independence from you, and would turn to him, trust in Jesus, become a Christian, follow him all the days of their lives. And God, for every single one of us in this room, I don't, I don't know what, what we're feeling this Christmas season, but I, I do imagine that holidays don't make it go away. If anything, they, they make our, our struggles and our pains magnified. So God, I pray that you would encourage their hearts and give them hope and joy that comes in knowing that even if I'm a total failure, that I have the approval of God on my life because of what Jesus has done. Because whether you're a Babylonian or a rotten shepherd or a peasant, we're unified in Jesus. And you look at us and you see holiness if we trust in Jesus. And so lift up the lowly in this room. Like Mary who had this amazing privilege to carry the God-man. Must have lifted up her head. Would you lift up heads in this room knowing that yeah, they're not Mary but they have God within their hearts. And nothing else matters compared to the, the reality that I have Jesus and I'm made right with God. So encourage hearts. Draw people to yourself. We love you so much. And we're thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.